This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. The panelists were Dr. Dmitry Kuznetsov, the Deputy Undersecretary for Artificial Intelligence and Technology at the Energy Department, Dr. Yoel Trovich, the Director of the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the Department of Veterans Affairs, Steve Babich, the Head of the Artificial Intelligence Portfolio at GSA's Technology Transformation Service, and Ted Kalk, the Chief Data Officer at the Agriculture Department. First, we hear from Energy's Dmitry Kuznetsov. Uh, you know, how do we think about data today? What is it we can do with it? What is its purpose? Uh, what are the challenges we face? And DOE at its core, the Department of Energy, lives in the space of having to make decisions for uh, rare events. You know, whether it is the energy sector, we have to make sure we keep the lights on. Uh, right now, we're purchasing uh, or planning to purchase 77 million barrels of oil to put in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to keep oil and gas flowing while the prices are cheap. Uh, we su- secure uh, infrastructure and networks and nuclear facilities and nuclear security. There are a lot of places where we are making high-risk decisions increasingly informed not just by simulation, which are kind of the historic roots, but by data. And, and learning how to make decisions from data is something I think on everybody's mind right now. You know, when you think about coronavirus, uh, when you think about the data you are getting, how you are trying to assess risk, you know, this is a a fairly close analog. You're getting data. You don't know how complete it is. Uh, You're having to make decisions. The decisions matter. You try and gather it. And and effectively, you are the AI uh, or probably just the I that tries to balance decisions in the best way according to the outcomes that you are trying to achieve. And it's, it's similar to what we've been challenged with for many years in, in terms of, of things that are important to you uh, and, and the nation in terms of our overall security and energy. And so data today is at the core of that. You know, so what is data? Uh, we, we use it loosely, data for the purpose of learning uh, this is the third of the breakfasts that kind of wraps up uh, the, the data and the machine learning pieces that have been discussed. And it's that intersection that is uh, pretty non-trivial. What is the data? Who has it? Uh, can you touch it? Is it actually useful for applying machine learning? Uh, you know, there are many tough questions uh, that each of us are struggling with. Uh, where do you host it? My experience in in looking for data is a lot of people feel that they have data, but as you try and track it down and understand whether it's good for anything, it is a long road. There isn't a lot of data that is ready to go for things, and and sensitivity to the data, the data practices, and structuring it with purpose makes a lot of difference. Data that matters, really more importantly, good data. And I think that is not a well-defined concept because it depends on the kinds of questions you are asking. You know, so first, should you care? Questions you could ask yourself, are there places where you are trying to make important decisions uh, without full awareness of all the information? 
obviously with coronavirus in our day-to-day lives, yes. In our missions, similarly, increasingly as we instrument, as we measure, as we gather data from so many different places, uh, we have the sense that there is a lot more opportunity out there if we could simply see with more clarity through the complexities of the data. You know, so if there are places where you feel that's the case, you know, then you should be caring. Do you accept risk in, in your missions, in your jobs, in ways you can't quite define? Where manpower limits, you know, is the rate limiting factor for what you can do, uh, whether it's in cybersecurity, uh, whether it's in health, uh, whatever the sector, are you managing risk and in somehow integrating your best expert advice with limited access to data tools to manage things? You know, I think a lot of people are in that place, in, including us. And, and I think uh, the challenge is the data situation is simply growing. It's, it's growing sometimes exponentially fast as smarter storage, uh, better ways to aggregate and accrue data are, are becoming commercially available. It's simply a, a future for us with smart devices and smart systems that we'll be measuring a lot more. And so even if we can balance it today, that's not a, a stationary point. It's going to change. And before you know it, uh, there'll be too much uh, data. If any of those are things that resonate with you, then you really need to think about data in the context of, of uh, AI and machine learning. You know, when you think about data, you shouldn't think about it just by itself as, a, a, as an asset or as a single thing, because uh, by itself, at least in, in from my point of view, applying learning to data as an add-on, as uh, in the model of, well, we're just going to gather a lot of data, then we'll figure out what the uh, you know um, machine learning people can figure out about that. That's not a good strategy. The places where we've had the most success, the places where we have uh, built something are places where we've defined machine learning uh, workflows. And what I mean by that are teams of people that cover a, a breadth of different skills. Some are focused on the data. Some are focused, some are the subject matter experts for the data that uh, uh, live there. Some are the ones that put it in the format that is useful. Some apply the learning. Some fill in the gaps and some ask whether you need additional data, whether you should do some experiments, whether you should simulate things and you create a cycle so the data can be ingested. It can be labeled appropriately, structured appropriately, but fluidly developed into a workflow so that you're just pouring it in. And so you should think about data in the context of the use model, the business model in which outcomes are, are coming out of one side and data is pouring into the other rather than here is the data and I'm just going to append to it uh, a machine learning uh, uh, add-on. And I think that is a, a far less optimal way of doing things. So thinking about an overall workflow for learning that includes data and your data strategy, uh, where the, the, the workflow is focused on the business outcome you want, I think are the important ways to think of this. So don't just say we're going to have a data strategy, put it in the context of, of how it'll be used and the teams that we, that will be uh, built around it. You know, unlike analytics where, where you ask a question in, in the form of instructions and it looks through the data, it searches for this or that, 
and that's what you get out. You know, learning methods surface whatever. You know, they will surface the uh, wrong results. They will surface the obvious results. Uh, and, and it'll take time to figure out what are the right ones that come out. Eventually, when you find some novel things, you'll, you'll have to pour through that, and it'll take some expertise. Uh, using learning on data is not a, a panacea or a plug-and-play. And the learning results could vary from day to day. You might get into a, a situation where you've learned something from the data today, and as you fluidly inject data and update, the answer tomorrow is opposite. And, and you might think, well, what's wrong? Well, you know, unlike analytics, what you extract from the data can change. It can train, change dramatically as, as you augment the information, as it tips from kind of one understanding to the next. Uh, we are seeing that as we work day to day through uh, coronavirus, as we, we kind of balance our own risk, and as we are kind of the processing unit for, for this uh, kind of AI, but, you know, our, our personal views are likely changing as we aggregate data from our own experiences, from going to the grocery store, from the news, from family, from, from other sources. And so you will have to expect learning to uh, change. And that's why, you know, data strategies have to include methods to, to define what data you used and what tools you used to get what kind of outcomes. As you continually aggregate data, how do you document, for example, a snapshot in time of this is the data set that led to these uh, recommendations with this set of tools that were written with these algorithms. You know, and if you are relying more and more on this, a way to archive the data you use so that you could go back and say, well, last year we had this decision, how come? You know, are you able to pull out the data, pull out the old tools and compare what has changed? You know, so uh, these are things that we have certainly uh, honed over the years for uh, software tools uh, where we can actually go back to a timestamp of, you know, three years ago. Uh, uh, this is uh, what the predictions told us and this is why. You know, we're going to need those kinds of things also in the data world and data strategies tied to algorithms used and outcomes uh, presented. I think are going to uh, have to be part of this. The problem with data is that we have no real understanding of uh, how much you need. There is no theory of data, so we don't know if data is complete or correct. Uh, we don't know if the data is suitable to answer the questions we're interested in understanding. Uh, and the data by itself can't tell us whether predictions from the data are actionable. Let's say you've applied this within your agency or your business and you've learned something you know, would you bet the farm on that? It is kind of uh, still some uncharted territory on how you make sure that uh, results coming from learning applied to the data you're aggregating can somehow bound the range of actions which are sensible. Today, it is a, a mixture of, of experts with the analysis that have to go in together, and you can't simply rely on the data itself for this. You know, in the future, that's going to change, but we're not so far down the road. So you, you, you have to think about data uh, in this way as you structure strategies and think about the, the future in, in learning. Understanding sensitivities um, and, and I think um, acting on predictions without understanding those could easily lead you down the wrong path. And, and so I think care has to be taken in all of this.
So, you know, what should you be thinking about? You have to be flexible in strategies that we should be developing because we have to get our heads around what to measure, what to archive, uh, what its purpose is, and, and start this learning path so that we can get to the future we need, uh, making better decisions from the data that we are all going to be gathering, whether we want to or not. We have to take a break. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. The panelists were Dr. Dmitry Kuznetsov, the Deputy Undersecretary for Artificial Intelligence and Technology at the Energy Department, Dr. Gil Altrovitz, the director of the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the Veterans Affairs Department, Steve Babich, the head of the Artificial Intelligence Portfolio at GSA's Technology Transformation Service, and Ted Kalk, the chief data officer for the Agriculture Department. In this part of the show, we hear from VA's Gil Altrovitz and USDA's Ted Kalk. We've completed the artificial intelligence tech sprint. And as a result of that, there have been a couple of um, organizations that are now continuing with different uh, pilots. And so what we have seen is a, a really great way to interact with industry and other partners through the AI tech sprint, which has involved uh, companies and uh, other organizations working around VA and, and also in some cases other agency data uh, and involving uh, different experts working uh, together. So the quick update, one of the quick updates there is that one of the organizations uh, just completed a uh, clinical trial matching program that is now been evaluated by the uh, Office of uh, Information Technology looking around different uh, metrics to make it uh, production ready. And just a couple of weeks ago, it was uh, evaluated as being production ready for getting access to that uh, data. So that could empower nine plus million veterans once it is uh, activated to uh, search and, and look for clinical trials and experimental therapeutics that may be suitable for them, which is a great technology to have and one that's uh, especially relevant today when we're, we're thinking about some of the uh, you know, potential treatments uh, that may, uh, you know, that are being investigated. There's a number of other areas that we're looking at. For example, uh, one of the things that's really interesting powerful and interesting about the VA is about how that there are many different offices that um, are now being brought together around AI and leveraging that for the health and well-being of the veterans. So um, that's one of the other items that, that's kind of uh, emerging recently. And then, you know, we're participating in a number of interagency and, and other types of uh, meetings. Um, there's, uh, you may have seen from the interagency on AI research and development, there was recently a data set that was released around COVID and the VA has been one of the, the agencies uh, involved in that as well. When you talk about some of the data sharing that you're talking about, and, and can you walk me through that piece that I think Dimitri hit upon well, have you guys gone in with this idea of, okay, what's the outcome we're trying to get to? And, and then where does the data fit? Walk me through maybe a little bit of the process and how the data and, and the processes all fit together. I think that's really one of the interesting challenges um, is that often data is collected, uh, as Dimitri was mentioning, you know, maybe for one reason, and it, it may have, you know, it may be used for analyzing and, and finding results for that particular reason, but there may be 
other uses for that data as well. And so when you get to kind of secondary uses, you have to examine a number of the challenges, like can it be used for that reason? Has it, has it been consented for use for that reason? Do you need to get consent again? There are a lot of different uh, potential challenges especially when you're working with uh, external and other organizations, how do you uh, make that data available? And so those are some of the items that we've been uh, exploring, for example, in the AI tech sprint and, and in other cases as well. And so for that particular sprint, what we did is uh, we designed a use case, which was around, in that case, for the last one, clinical trial matching. We're now looking for future tech sprints at other use cases. If people have ideas, feel free to email them. I've been getting different ideas over time, and we've been looking at different ideas for the new one. But in that case, it was around clinical trial matching. And so uh, the data sets were either developed for that particular uh, sprint, or uh, they leveraged other data that we work to ensure that it had different permissions and the different availabilities to be used uh, and then uh, created data use agreements and, and so forth uh, based on on that. And uh, we got, you know, part of that process was we got feedback and we learned about different processes. The other approach, of course, is to create synthetic data for initial testing and then you can design it specifically for your particular use case and go from there. The one last thing I'd, I'd wanna add is that there's a lot also to think about uh, data sets and how they can work together. So uh, rather than re releasing one data set, it was a, an ecosystem of data sets that were interrelated. So imagine, for example, someone searching for a trial, you've got information about the, the so-called patient looking for the trial, the, the physician, the uh, demographics, you've got pieces of information about the trial itself, where it's located. And so having all that put together uh, makes for an efficient use case that allows uh, that to work together. All right, Gil, thank you very much. That was great. Uh, the one quick follow-up I would have for you is, did you have blanket permission to, when you got started, or did you have to go back and ask for blanket permission, like as things moved along? So what we designed in this case was data sets that we already uh, were already set with from the beginning, as well as developing new processes toward making additional types of data available in the future. So as part of the, in this case, in the, as, as part of that sprint, we got feedback of what type of data sets would be useful for the future. And then, although, you know, those data sets were not potentially made available for that data, uh, that sprint, they may be available for future ones as we work through those processes. All right, very good. Thank you for that. All right, let's move on to our next panelist, uh, Ted from USDA. It's interesting to be talking about this topic in, in the present situation, it's, there is a good analogy, I think we heard that earlier this morning, to the appetite that everybody has for, for increased data. So I think the meme that's been most relevant in the last uh, couple of weeks is flattening the curve, that we're just, that sort of entered the parlance with the coronavirus as people are assessing their own risk and we're thinking collectively about how to respond. Um, that's certainly something that we've found with leaders and employees at USDA is that there is uh, an intense uh, appetite for data, um, but in a lot of cases, the data just was not available to them to be able to iterate and to think about how to ask better and better questions. So we've actually, uh, in, a, in a very large agency, eight mission areas and 19 agencies, just completed a, a significant series of sprints where we've launched uh, dashboards to all of our mission areas uh, to give them those foundational capabilities. So just 
an example of the kind of work that we do, the diversity of the work and the, and the insights that are available. And then I'll talk a little about the process and how that's leading into uh, deeper, deeper questions and more complex questions. Through our Farm Production and Conservation Service, where we provide loans to farmers and technical assistance for conservation practices, all of our state conservationists now have uh, access to a real-time scorecard with more than a dozen metrics that allows them to more efficiently administer the programs and provide better customer support. Um, we also manage all of our national forests at USDA, so our forest supervisors um, have just received access to a 360-degree view of their key metrics, whether that's timber sales or treating the forests for, fire, uh, for wildfire risk, budget fleet HR data, having that 360-degree view for them to be, uh, be able to better manage our natural and government resources. Uh, and one final example among many is, is just scientists in our and operational field leaders in our food safety inspection service, where we do inspections for meat and poultry uh, in every processing plant uh, across the country, giving them 360 degree views into the status of laboratory sampling, as well as public health indicators. So how did we get to that place where uh, people have access to data, which wasn't true uh, just even a couple of years ago? The fundamental kind of process that we followed was um, asking people and asking leaders across the department what questions they had. And that might be a little bit uh, harder than it sounds, but not ultimately that difficult. First, um, really got them to think about what was important to them, right? So, and typically what we found initially when we asked them that question, they might think about what data they had access to. And so that may have constrained the questions they asked. So we tried to open the aperture through some divergent and convergent thinking exercises where we said, you know, if you're a beach person or a mountain person, wherever, wherever you do your thinking, getting them outside of the organizational context, what's the real question that you had? And then looking across our vast data assets at USDA to be, or outside of USDA, to be able to bring those insights together and then fitting the solution to be able to answer the question. But doing it in a really iterative way through sprints where those leaders got to react to the data they were seeing and they got to ask better and better questions. So that's been really, really instructive for us is that uh, one, we were able to answer a lot more questions than we thought possible. And by asking those questions, we also got to better questions. We also prioritized what data was most important and what questions were most important today. And that's helped us to think much more strategically about how we're going to manage and use this data. So, uh, and one of the, I think one of, the, one of the things that we found as we did this was uh, through a data maturity assessment, a data management maturity assessment was that we had a lot of strengths uh, in our data management practices, but we also had a lot of things to work on. And one of those things is having the right level of leadership. Very complex mission, er mission areas, We've talked about a few of them already. One of them is rural development, which is the fifth or sixth largest lender in the country. Uh, and so each of these mission areas, uh, we really just did not yet have, I think what's happened in the last few years in the private sector, leadership where uh, people are actually looking at their data strategies from the perspective of the business and from the perspective of business value. So we've, we've established assistant chief data officers in each of those mission areas over the last uh, couple of months. And we've now been working through uh, an enterprise governance process to be able to, to govern the dashboard adoption strategies, to, uh, to be able to integrate data into an enterprise platform and build that out, and then also to build communities of practice for advanced analytics to be able to look at these kinds of things. When it came to artificial intelligence and machine learning, again, when those questions uh, required uh, those kinds of uh, methodologies, uh, we applied them. Uh, so in many cases, people didn't think we had access to data that could answer their questions. And, and in some cases, uh, natural language processing was one way of getting to those insights. So looking at procurement documents to be able to train a model on getting better insights into where IT spend is happening, looking at uh, patent and trademark data 
to be able to, and linking that with USDA research to be able to see what's the impact of research, because that was the question people were asking, right? So I think one, the, the sort of the final point I leave with folks is, again, this appetite that we suspected was there, so we're able to confirm that for sure, and it's now leading into deeper questions and sort of this art of the possible where people have realized we could do more than we thought, uh, all of which were dependent upon the data management practices we had in place. Uh, but we also now know a lot more about what challenges we have and um, what data we might need to collect differently. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's going to be instructive for the future. Just the one thing that comes to mind is you roll out these dashboards, and, and this is something you guys have been working on, I think, for the, for the past year, year and a half, and correct me if I'm wrong. Do people understand how to use the dashboards? It's one thing to see the data and go, okay, that, that red looks good or that green looks good or those numbers, that bar chart looks good. But do, are you, how are you helping them use that data to make good, good decisions? Sure. Uh, and that's a really critical part, I think, of, of all of this is, is the training, right? So one I would say is when you, when you look at how we're consuming data today, it is changing. And I do think people are, in a widespread way, looking at data and, and looking at data visualizations more than they have in the past. That being said, when we started about 18 months ago, there, there were questions about the value of data visualization, right? So we actually did a, a full educational campaign on what kinds of insights are available to people, right? What time it could save them in terms of pulling manual reports together for things that were more descriptive, best practices for communicating data visually. Uh, we did an internal uh, data visualization competition to train employees on uh, how to use those best practices. So certainly education has been really important and we've done much more granular trainings on the individual dashboards so we can train the users of all those dashboards. Again, they were designed for specific user sets to help them understand how to use them and also to how to give feedback on it, right? So um, now as we're kind of launching into phase two, those best practices that kind of have organically grown up across the department have been turned into a list of best practices on how to communicate and how to, how to drive adoption, but how to educate people as, as to how to use them. We have to take a break. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. The panelists were Dr. Dmitry Kuznetsov, the Deputy Undersecretary for Artificial Intelligence and Technology at the Energy Department, Dr. Gil Altrovitz, the director of the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the Veterans Affairs Department. Steve Babich, the head of the Artificial Intelligence Portfolio at GSA's Technology Transformation Service. And Ted Kalk, the chief data officer for the Agriculture Department. In this part of the show, we hear from GSA's Steve Babich and then again from Energy's Dmitry Kuznetsov. Following the AI executive order last year, the GSA has now stood up a focus on AI through the U.S. Technology Transformation Service. So I lead the AI portfolio or, or within TTS. And we've got a couple of things we're, we're trying to do there. We've got our AI center of excellence, where we are looking to, that's sort of the implementation and delivery mechanism. So we work directly with agencies uh, such as Jake, HUD, USDA, and others on how to implement and lay the foundation for the use and application of AI. And then on the non-implementation side, we've got the portfolio where we're standing up a community of practice uh, we had our kickoff October 31st last year, where we are very keen and interested in sharing the different use cases, the lessons learned, and the best practices that are out there across the federal government landscape. And how do we pull that in and aggregate that and then share that and disseminate it back out to agencies? So 
I definitely welcome almost a call to action. Maybe I'll repeat this again at the end, but if you have use cases that you are willing to share within the government, we absolutely want to talk with you. So I'm looking at you, uh, Ted, Dimitri, uh, Gil, et cetera, uh, but we'd love to talk with you more going forward. And so again, there's the implementation side. There's also that community of practice side. And how do we start to build that uh, repository of use cases? Uh, how do we provide guidance in the form of an, an executive guide to AI? This is something that we're looking to build as well. And then on the implementation side, as far as Jake and the HUD, for example, we're starting to um, lay the foundation there with some early data governance uh, and the strategy around how we manage the data. So at a high level, that's sort of the focus of, of what we're doing in TTS uh, broadly. Let's focus maybe on the implementation side for a second. The work mm-hmm. you're doing with HUD and, and the Joint AI Center at DOD. Is data governance usually that first step towards making this more mm-hmm. implementable, useful, whatever word you want to say? Because a lot of people will talk governance and go, oh, oh no, n- another governance exercise, right? <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Um, uh, great question. And I, th- I think what we're seeing is it's, it's almost case by p- case how this is happening in different agencies. Certainly, you've got pockets of, of work happening where there might be piloting a use of AI in, in a particular business area or application. And so you've got some of that bottom-up activity happening. And then at the same time, you're trying to think about how do we marry up what's happening at the ground level with that more senior leadership buy-in. And that does then drive a conversation around, okay, if this activity is happening, we got to sort of get ahead of it as well to make sure we're doing things in the right way. And we're, we're being cognizant of issues around privacy, around security, around ethics. And so now that we have CDOs um, established across the federal government, they and other senior leaders have to sort of establish that governance structure. So it does feel like a bit of marrying from both sides. Both are equally important. Uh, and you need to have, you really do have to have both to sort of drive a broader um, effort enterprise wide. Let me, let me bring Dimitri back into the conversation as well. Dimitri, your keynote was interesting in several different, I uh, got a nice couple uh, tweets out there on it. But I wanted to touch upon the one thing that I thought was, was very interesting that maybe could help out is the strategy side of it. You talked about just don't come up with data, start doing processing it, and then you go, okay, now let's add ML AI to it. Walk me through maybe just a little bit more about how do you fit in, in the workflows, this idea of M- ML AI from the beginning, or at least uh, close to the beginning. I was also going to ask Stephen a question. Uh, <laughs> Please do. Make it, make it. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Keep going. So I'll, I'll, if I could get back to yours, Jason, in just a second, Stephen, what struck me is you, you have kind of a unique view across all the federal agencies of, of who's doing what, mm. uh, and, and you have a sense of, uh, you know, where gaps are emerging, you know, workforce needs or and and best in class and you know how you know how does the landscape look to you and 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 kind of what's a role you might have in in capturing best in class to to redisseminate uh, across uh, federal agencies in in some you know ongoing way so that we can better yeah. know how to move forward uh, consistent with the executive order and so on. I think that's the challenge is the, the U.S. government's not exactly a small place to go and, and investigate and try to survey what's happening. So we are literally in the midst of trying to connect with and engage the various leaders across agencies, the people who are doing it at the practitioner level. And so I sort of alluded it to it earlier, but again, there is a lot of activity happening but it's still the early days and people are experimenting, as you, you rightly pointed out as well. 
our aim, and, and that's sort of what the, the White House, the Office of Science and Tech Policy, Office of American Innovation, GSA, they want us to be that focal point to aggregate and pull that together. So the conversations that we're having are exactly the kind of opportunity we have to connect with folks like you. So the more that we can pull in those kinds of use cases and those applications, whether that's actually at any sort of specific use case of, app, of AI, or if that's actually a more a higher level strategic initiative in terms of laying that foundational data strategy in place, we do want to be that, uh, that connective tissue to pull it in. So I would want to absolutely follow up with you to speak more because we haven't done that yet. But if we do that, I think what we're hearing from different federal agencies is like, look, I, gotta, I think I have an application or a problem I want to solve. And I think AI might benefit, uh, AI could be beneficial. Who else is doing that? And there are certainly, um, if it's HR or finance, or there's sort of agency, cross agency, there are opportunities to do that. And then there's also sort of mission specific um, applications as well. But I don't know if that's quite answering your question, but we're, we're again in the early days of that, but that's what we want to do. No, oh, thanks. Back to your question, Jason. You know, all right, I was going to say, don't forget. No, no, no. Look, uh, I, I could talk about workflows and things all day, but let me see if I can just capture some some salient points. You know, the the thing is, everyone is starting with a, a, some initial set of data. We all have data somewhere, and it's not the right data because we didn't gather it with the purposes we have in mind for the future. And I think Gil went through that well. You know, and so we we have a starting point, but it's. It's certainly not uh, necessarily the right data. And in a few years' time, our, the data that we actually need, depending on how our problems evolve, will change. And so what is the system in which this will all live? You know, I think of a workflow as kind of the business model centered on the outcomes. What are you trying to achieve? And, and how do you make the, the data a piece of some cycle of development of injecting data, of, of learning from it, from, from bringing in the experts, from filling in the gaps with modeling and, and kind of continuing to, uh, to evolve this as a system. And so it's, it's not about here's our data archive, go do something, because that's a, uh, it's a very suboptimal way. Uh, you know, the interaction of, of the, the modeling people, the algorithms people, the, the the experts, uh, those who own the risk and the problems you're trying to address with the data and with everyone else is, is kind of a shared fate model. If you have people who own data and they sit somewhere and then you have other people who are trying to use it, there isn't a, a shared fate in that. And you can drive outcomes more strongly if everyone is sitting together in a cycle of development that includes data as a piece of it. But you all understand what you're trying to do and everyone is helping with getting to that outcome, whether it is understanding a set of decisions, guaranteeing actionability, or whatever it might be. You, you have to think about the, the business model, the cycle, the, the workflow of the handoffs of the different skills so that something is coming back to the data people, you know, at the back end, and, and it refreshes in the right way and feeds back in, in a way that is interacting continuously. And, and so you need that kind of system. We have to take a break. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. 
The panelists were Dr. Dmitry Kuznetsov, the Deputy Undersecretary for Artificial Intelligence and Technology at the Energy Department, Dr. Gil Trovitz, the Director of the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the Veterans Affairs Department, Steve Babich, the Head of the Artificial Intelligence Portfolio at GSA's Technology Transformation Service, and Ted Kalk, the Chief Data Officer for the Agriculture Department. In this part of the show, the panelists take questions from the audience. We got a couple, one from uh, both Brian and Andrew asked the same question for Ted. So we'll start there, Ted. Describe phase two of the dashboard project. Can you tell us a little bit more? For us, it's been really valuable to have something tangible uh, to govern, right? That there's um, been a recognition from leaders across our department uh, that there's a lot of value in, in our data. They've seen it in a really tangible way. And now there is business pressure in the system to, and, and, uh, to the expectations have been raised, right? And so um, because of that, I think for us, data governance is a natural next step for us to be able to remediate some of the issues that we found and to continue to drive that forward. So when we think about the unique power of government data, and we think about the artificial intelligence uh, legislation and, and executive order, uh, I think that that is going to be most realized when the organizations themselves understand culturally the value of sharing models and have seen that for themselves, right? So, you know, whether that's how we collect information from the public, uh, how we're using it internally for decision making, and then finally how we make it available for the public and private sector, at least at our department, starting internally, sharing data based on questions that leaders and employees have that, that are going to drive business outcomes has, I think, started that cultural journey. So whether it was a model that was developed for research purposes on wildfire risk that was then taken for the first time and used for operational treatments in the forest, that I think that kind of conversation is now, I think, making more and more people aware of when we say artificial intelligence uh, and the value of government data and governance, why we're talking about that. So we're now talking about governance uh, we're talking about data stewardship, but I think as we go forward, we need to be really careful to ensure that whatever we do with data stewardship is strategic and, and that it has valuable value and that people see the value. So one thing that we're looking at is that, that we're implementing is a data stewardship framework, right, uh, which is going to be both how we manage data internally for our own use cases, but how we also answer the call for, for how the public will use that data. And, and, and I, one of the things we're trying to be really careful about is showing when we implement data dictionaries and guidance on data, how that enables us to integrate data across the department for the first time in a way that we ran into trouble when we went and did the dashboards the first time. So I think it's just taking it to that next level. Again, I talked about the leadership that we put in place. Those leaders in each mission are also standing up centralized analytics teams, and we're working as a community across the department to be able to leverage all of our best practices. So quite a number of activities. Other things I think that I mentioned quickly are, are things like having a data catalog. We've got a vast amount of data, but it's not really well recognized, and even, even in terms of our, uh, our, our, our models, but also just the, the data itself. What data do we have available that could answer questions so that we're not purchasing it twice, we're not creating it twice, and we're also improving. Where We also make people more aware of what are the secondary uses we might not have thought of. So those are some examples. Very nice. Let's go to a, another question then on, on the big board. Someone wrote, how are agencies considering a customer data platform? Sure. I mean, I mean, we have made some efforts, and that was a really key part of, uh, of what we've been implementing was, was standing up an enterprise analytics platform, you know, to enable uh, a one-source access to disparate data without taking five years or 10 years to update our underlying data architecture, right? So we, we, 
Uh, and when we started, we were dealing with primarily structured data, um, but we wanted to build a platform that if we caught the bug, as we suspected we might, we would be able to do all sorts of analysis with different types of data. So we have stood up an enterprise platform for, uh, for sharing data, uh, for automating the data sources, uh, for, uh, for, for visualizing the dashboards and performing the underlying analytics work. Um, we do want to take a much more holistic and strategic approach to um, the tools we're adding to standardization for the department uh, so we have a more efficient way of, of performing analytics across the department. And uh, the, the dashboards we created were internal use only originally, and so we do have a need for a public data platform, and, and so that's something we're going to be implementing this year, the first phase of that. So we're, we're working kind of holistically now to as we modernize to make sure that when we modernize in the future that we're thinking about the enterprise because again there are all kinds of un unanticipated uses for our data and we want to make sure that we can share it and in as easy a fashion as possible where it makes sense but also to protect it and to ensure that we uh, that we secure our data as well so a lot more to come on that i think you know actually just you know, just to chime in this is actually a little bit maybe more of a follow-on from what dimitri was describing you know, i guess what we're seeing you know in some of the center of excellence work is um, again it's it's less about the data as you're rightly pointing out dimitri but it's about the problems you're trying to solve and what are those use cases and i think a, a in that initial effort in building that foundational data strategy a thing that we're employing is use of uh, human-centered design and looking to engage the range of stakeholders that really need to come to the table that might not normally do so. And so you need the technical folks, you need the acquisition folks, you need the, certainly the data stewards and the leadership to sort of gather and align themselves on what we are trying to achieve, um, how is the data going to be used, and at least begin that dialogue so people can get comfortable uh, because it's understandable that particularly the data stewards, they own that data and they want to make sure that it's being used in the, in the most effective way. And they, uh, we mitigate any potential pitfalls or challenges again around privacy and security uh, and ethics, uh, those kinds of issues. So I think the use of those, and that's not a sort of one and done, that is an ongoing conversation that needs to happen. And, and it's case by case in terms of who's the coalition of the willing and how do we, how do we just sort of get ourselves aligned. That's all the time we have. Today I played excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Bethesda Breakfast on Artificial Intelligence. My guests on the panelists were Dr. Dmitry Kuznetsov, the Deputy Undersecretary for Artificial Intelligence and Technology at the Energy Department, Dr. Gail Trovich, the Director of the National Artificial Intelligence Institute at the Veterans Affairs Department, Steve Babich, the Head of the Artificial Intelligence Portfolio for GSA's Technology Transformation Service, and Ted Kalk, the Chief Data Officer for the Agriculture Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.